Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the DLC Drop Podcast. Today my guest is Chris Smith. He's the founder and CEO of Big Esports, an agency out of Australia. He's going to share all these insights he's gained during his 10-year career in esports and also some amazing work that he's doing with esports education. He's also got a ton of trends at the end of this episode to share, so make sure to tune in until the end. Let's talk to Chris. Drop in the untold stories of industry leaders, influencers, and insights on future innovation. I'm John Davidson, and this is the DLC, DLC Drop, Drop Podcast. Podcast. All right, Chris Smith, thank you so much for joining me today on the DLC Drop Podcast. No worries, man. Good to be here. Yeah, so we've had many LinkedIn conversations. I feel like we're LinkedIn friends. And... Uh, <laughs> A lot of conversations were part of an awesome content creation group that you helped to pull together a bunch of people on LinkedIn. We share what we're posting. We support each other. The other day, I was looking for some stats for a deck. I was like, hey, anybody got this? And Chris was like, I got you. Here we go. <laughs> so it's a cool community that you've built there. I feel like you, I know you, but the funny thing that maybe a lot of people would be surprised is this is our first time talking uh, face-to-face or Zoom-to-Zoom. So... It's great to yeah. hear your voice. <laughs> yeah, it is. And funnily enough, because you know, because you and I create so much content, I think you'd be the same as me. That I don't watch a lot of esports business content either, so I haven't really even heard your voice much before either, which is funny. Because it's like you were saying, you know, kind of feel like we know each other, and you get that with podcasts all the time, right? Like, you know, I, I listen to quite a few of the Joe Rogan podcasts. I'm a big MMA fan, so especially whenever there's a you know MMA legend on, which he has quite regularly, I feel like I, I feel like if I was to have a conversation with Joe Rogan, I would know what to talk about and, and who he is. So, right. yeah, it's funny in that sense. Cool. Well, you're definitely somebody that I've looked up to for a long time on LinkedIn. Uh, a lot of the things that I've learned have been the posts that big esports uh, posts. You have these PDFs that you'll post that's six to eight pages. It's an insight or trends that are coming up. But what I want to start with you today is you've been in the space for 10 years. You're only 29 years old, but you're somebody who's been in this space for a very long time, a lot longer than uh, a lot of others. Take me through how this journey started for you and how you've gotten to become the founder and CEO of Big Esports. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I started the same way that so many people did who's been around the same length as me, which was as a player. You know, I think most of us who work in the business side of things has been around for, I don't know, five, six, seven years or more, started off as a competitive player thinking we wanted to be the best or we're going to be the best in the world. So for me, I've I've played in some top levels, but was definitely nowhere near the best. You know, I've, I played Battlefield 2, Bad Company 2 and CSGO at what I would call a semi-professional level, you know, base anywhere in teams that were top five to to number one in, in fleeting moments of times in, in various game modes and such in that path. But you know, for me then it was a it was a journey and I've done a little bit of mentoring and I've always been trying to figure out the easiest way to explain this. But for me, it was a journey of doing different jobs, trying to find what I wanted to do in the market. And every time mm-hmm. I moved to a different role, I thought this is exactly where I want to be. I want to excel at this. And then after a year or so, I would go to another role and do that. And what I found out is that I wanted to work on the market, not in the market. I wanted to bring new ideas and I didn't want to be attached to one brand unless it was my own brand that I was attached to. So 
you know, for me, I've been a, a top-level competitive player. I've been a commentator. The closest I got was offered an international gig, but especially in esports in those days, it was, hey, can you get to can you get to the UK within 12 days to cast the face at $40,000 CSGO comp? And I was like, I don't think so. I had enough leave, but I uh, couldn't get a visa in time. So I've been a commentator. I ran a $30,000 Counter-Strike tournament back in 2010, which I kind of fell into by accident by being a volunteer commentator. So in that stage, that was big That was big money, especially in Australia. But these days, it's obviously pittance compared to the Intel Extreme Masters that happens here in, in Australia now, which is a 350K US tournament. This is 30K AU, so that blows that out of the water. I did four years in PR and marketing for Thermaltake, so a computer components company. Did all their you know influencer marketing, which was very very new at that time didn't even really call it influencer marketing more so just reviews with youtubers you know doing tech doing tech reviewers advertising in magazines which is still funny to me to this day that you're a technology company advertising in a magazine <laughs> um doing nice trade story. shows events and i managed one of australia's first professional players throughout that time probably one of the first 10 a guy called jared or pig who's a starcraft 2 and he's a streamer these days so i went from there and you know when i was working there i thought this is perfect. This is my entry. I had esports in my title. I was the esports and community manager. I was running lots of tournaments and, and doing lots of things hands-on. I was a semi-pro CSGO player while I was working there too. I got to go to Taiwan about five or six times with that company for work. So it was fantastic, but not, you know, not, not so much for me in the long run necessarily. So after that, I actually exited the industry for a short amount of time. I studied social work for a year and I became a journalist throughout that period of time. So I worked for eTechnics, which is a UK company, then Tweaktown, which is focused on the US, but a lot of their staff are in Australia doing news and reviews, et cetera. So there's like a, she can't see it. There's a gaming chair sitting next to me that I reviewed when I was there, but I did smartwatches, smartphones and audio equipment. And then I thought for a while, hey, this is what I want to do. I want to be one of the top journos in the world. You get sent so much free stuff as a journo. It's ridiculous. Everybody wants to want to dine you and the pay isn't fantastic, but the perks of things you get, if you want some RAM, if you want a CPU, whatever you want, you've got it. You know, so that's that's always great to get that kind of stuff. And people like Anthony Gareffa, who was my mentor there, he thrives in that in that kind of situation. Mm. But for a while, you know, I, I finished, ended up doing just one year of uni plus one subject, which is very valuable in itself. Social work's a fantastic course to study. And then I came back into the industry. I got headhunted by Corsair to become their first employee here in Australia. So another computer components and peripheral company. So I launched them into influencer marketing in Australia. You know, I did trade shows, events and supported the sales team. I was the one and only based here physically in Australia with a salesperson over in Taiwan. So also had to build a shed out the back of my house, a little garden shed and pack it full of Corsair equipment and all through my lounge room. I had stuff for, for expos and conventions. It was absolute chaos. Yeah. So I did that for a couple of years, some consultancy here and there and ended up leaving on the 20th of April, 2018, which for gamers, they love the 420 joke. I ended up leaving to create business in games, which then became big esports to sitting where I am today. So for me, you know, throughout that period of time, I've kind of done everything. Like if you, if you were to go to like an esports event, that's kind of like a cumulative event, you know, everybody comes in there, but also an, an esports event has from my understanding, the most different sort of job titles within one single company. You've got people who are checking tickets at the door. You've got audio visual nerds at the back end. You've got the players, you've got the coaches, you've got the people in front and behind the cameras, you've got the marketing, the VIPs, et cetera. Right. If you were to run, say, say one of those events, I've been there in essentially every single capacity. I've been the player on the stage. I've been the player manager, um, the team owner. I've been the VIP. I've been the sponsor. I've been the commentator. So I like to think that I have a good holistic look at the industry because I've done a little bit of hands-on in every single section. And you know, I'm a fan of military history and, and listen to Jocko Willink, et cetera. And a lot of these people talk about that kind of stuff too. You know, the boss doesn't need to know perfectly 
every single thing that's happening. But if they've got some sort of little bit of hands-on experience, if the yeah. if the platoon leader knows a little bit of how to fire the mortar and fire the machine gun and, and has been the point man before and et cetera, et cetera, in that war terms, the same with business. You know, if I've been the person who's been the sponsor and I know what to look out for, I, I've been the player manager, I know the stresses they go through, I've been the player myself and know what you're thinking when you're on stage, then I can use that in the future to my advantage working in the industry. So, yeah, that's the long road to where we are right now. <laughs> Yeah, I think you make a, a great point with the the whole thing of being able to manage the job. You can do that a lot better if you've done the job yourself because you know mm. what's going into it. And I, I used to work in the, the design world as a business manager. So I had all these real high level designers that I was managing, but I was not a designer. <laughs> Fortunately, the guy I reported to was a designer. So he had a really good idea of what was going on. But I've been in situations where, and I think everybody has, where you've got a boss who hasn't done your job, right? And it's like, oh, this guy doesn't know what it takes. These deadlines are crazy. But then you have somebody who has done it and knows what you're going through and they can set you up for success. Mm. I think what's really cool is from a business perspective, like you're saying, whether it's a consultant or your own agency, with me, I was the head of partnerships at GameStop. And so I have a very good idea of what a brand looks for when they're wanting to do a deal, when they're getting pitched. And so now in my consulting role, I'll talk with sponsorship sales agencies and they'll say, John, what would this brand look for from your perspective? Because you've received all the pitches from, you know, and so Mm. I think that's also a key to unlock for a lot of people that what is your future opportunity is what you're doing today. Teach other people how to reach that. Mm. That's a bit of it. Yeah, it's a bit of a cheat. It's a bit of a cheat code too, right? Like you yeah. already know, you don't know what you don't know. And that was a piece of LinkedIn content I made the other day. It was just about a, it was about an agency that reached out in a mass CC email to influencers asking if they want to join a campaign. And you just don't know these things unless you, you know, unless you don't, unless you know not to do them. And right. we we found that with you know where we do raises PR in Australia, and New Zealand. So another peripheral company obviously we're well suited to do that due to my six years of doing that as a, as a job myself and the same with our account manager there Bianca you know she's picked it up fantastically but at the start you know there were a few things that I thought she would know but it's just through my hands-on experience you don't know until you come across these things so if you've already got that done it's a cheat code and I never like before I started my own company listening to every startup kind of podcast that I can like startup by Gimlet Media and the pitch by Gimlet Media they were the two best ones for me you can you can use that and their experience, but you often think within esports that hey, we're special. The industry's different. I'm not going to go through these problems. I don't need to listen to these old crusty. You know what's a what's a mentor going to do for me? Like what does mining or what does what does car washers have to do? But a lot. You've still got profit and loss. You still yeah. got to pitch for business. You still got to win business. You still got employees that have homes and families and and money that comes in and money that goes out. So ultimately, you know, esports and gaming business is just business. I agree. And I think a, a major challenge in our industry is I see this dynamic of two groups of people. You have people who understand gaming and esports, but they don't have a lot of professional business experience just because they're not very old yet, right? There's no mm-hmm. substitute for experience. So if you've only been in the business world for five years, you're not going to have seven years of experience or two decades of experience. And a lot of times, uh, working in esports, maybe it's not the most professional environment, you could say, right? It's just people getting together and making it happen. Now, on the flip side, you have, I call them complementary experts. So you have people in professional business, not associated with esports, but if it was traditional sports or traditional entertainment, they would know everything. 
But there's something about the consumer behavior of gamers and the ecosystem of esports, which is unique, and just this being a completely different thing that the folks who could, who would otherwise know it all, don't have a clue. And mm. there's this gap between the two groups and they're unable to talk to each other. And so I think where, where I found some success is being one of those people who can talk to the business people and then talk to gamers and be that translator, if you will, or be the in-between person. What do you see as some of the challenges or also some of the opportunities to bridge that gap and help build more sustainable growth? Yeah, I think most of it is just getting in the room. That's, that's what I found. I've been really lucky to, I've made some content about this, been really lucky to have two major mentors in my life. You know, one being Carl Flores, who's the CEO, current CEO and founder of Unicorn, who's a global wagering company. You know, he had an exit in the past. He sold a company to Microsoft VC um, that was advertising in Steam Message of the Days and then actually joined with Raul Hull, who founded Microsoft VC to make this new company together. And my first ever meeting with back probably around 2017, 2018 kind of time, we had a very similar conversation to this. Carl was saying, and um, using this company as an example, and this company isn't isn't an example just because they're big, but he was saying, I'm sick of companies like Coca-Cola or Toyota or blue chip companies just throwing a a 17-year-old IT intern into be their head of gaming and esports. They've got no idea what they're talking about. And he said, mm. Chris, like I sit in the same situation that you do a lot of that time, which is that translator between business and gamer. And he was saying, Chris, I want to use you as, as kind of a, almost like a pawn really, or maybe upgraded to a bishop to kind <laughs> of push you in there and say, look, go to Chris for some advice. And he's probably mm. going to tell you to fire your 17 year old intern that you've, that you've set up or at least give them some training. But Right. Yeah, I think it's I think it's very important. But yeah, the hardest thing is to get into those rooms. You know, another one of my mentors who I was with last night, we went to a, a sports tech, so the Australian Australian sports tech network company, we went to one of their networking mixes last night. And there was a guy there who's had an exit from like two billion dollar exits from being a seed stage and also an $850 million exit, very down the line, hilarious guy, spent 40 years as an investment banker over in the US, brought that knowledge back to Australia to develop the sports tech industry. But I wouldn't be in those kind of circles if it it wasn't for Andrew Walton. And he has, uh, he's exited a sports tech startup himself and he sits on the board of, of our state's governing body or government related body for sports technology. And, you know, when I want to get into rooms, he's the one they can get me into those rooms. He seems to know everyone. And same with Carl. Yeah. Carl, Carl knows everyone. You know, one day he's like, hey, you want to see a picture of me and Floyd Mayweather standing in front of my gaming PC? And I'm like, no, <laughs> there's no there's no way. And yeah, it's him. You know, they're just hugging it out, <laughs> you know, arms around each other, standing in front of the gaming PC. But a lot of that is getting into those rooms. And when I first started in the space, I was just... I was just spamming messages to people on LinkedIn trying to get them to listen. And I, I, quitted, I quit my Corsair job thinking, hey, I'm going to convince you know, big brands to get into esports. I know this space better than anyone else. The only mm. part of that that's true is I might know the space better than most other people, but they don't know, who, they don't know what my history is. And I'm reaching out to them cold. And most of these people are just like, hey, Chris, just piss off. Like, I'm not not interested. And I can see why now. But when you can get that introduction from someone like a Carl or an Andrew, or then you can start to get that snowballing effect of, okay, you've done good work with one person. They're going to start to introduce you to your friends. You can become that select expert. And I think another fantastic example for anyone who's listening to the podcast is look at Chris Kizak. If I think of, if I think of Isle of Man, which is a, which is a country where so much money flows through. He is the expert in yes. there. So now that he's worked with the Isle of Man government specifically, it's set him up perfectly for a consulting 
life later, later in life, because he is the man, he is the esports man in that space. And that's part of what you can use LinkedIn for. It's part of what you can use mentors for and positioning, but it's all this kind of stuff, you know, you don't learn in school that, you know, you've got to, you got to slog through the hardship of begging for $5,000 contracts to, <laughs> to get there to where, you know, you and I are today, a bit more Absolutely. successful. Absolutely. So and I'm fortunate to have a few, few of their friends that have brought me into some rooms as well. But my question for you and to share with the audience is how do you get in that first room because once you you know it's the snowball effect but how do you start the snowball was was it something that was and i'll share an example of mine after yours but was it something that was just happened and you leveraged the opportunity and you couldn't replicate that or was it something that you recognize wait no i did this thing and this helped me generate these initial relationships couple of things, I guess, like one thing that I've seen specifically in Australian esports um, and a little bit internationally, but, but more so in Australia is people would brag about not talking about what they do. And I always found that was a little bit crazy. You know, at, at one stage there was, I think, five or six League of Legends teams in Australia that had team houses okay. for the first time. This was back in about 2016 when I was fresh at Corsair and I didn't even know. And I thought, if I don't know that, like, this is huge news. Like, th- these should be sponsors on these things. This should be in mainstream media. Like, we should be singing this from the top, you know, from, from the hills. But there was a lot of that thing in that stage where there was people were just spending the money on teams and operations, not on marketing. And then also on the other side of people just not not talking about what they do. And that's that's where I started on LinkedIn. It's like, don't be scared that if you did a cool campaign with Razor, tell everyone about it. Hey, I did a campaign with Razor. And it's it's paid yeah. off perfectly for us on LinkedIn as a, as a revenue driver because I remember posting about doing a, a Seuss campaign with Mr. Miola and then straight away, I got a $20,000 campaign sent to me after that because the guy was like, oh, hey, I've been looking for influencers, influencer work. I didn't know you guys did it. Awesome. Here you go. Here's here's twenty grand for a campaign. We take a twenty five percent off. We go. You know, got a little bit of revenue out of just making a making a single post and a, and a case study carousel. So, but in in regards to like getting the first shot, it was funny. I, I went to a public podcast recording with these guys called Funny Business, who are two Aussie blokes. They're hilarious, and there was a a lady there who has a had a massive exit already in the skincare business and has now founded a little bit an, another type of skincare business that's much more focused on equality in the community and sustainability. And she was saying that it's her belief that founders and, and startup, anyone who works in startups in this space, specifically founders, have a much higher tolerance for stress and mental pain than anybody else. And mm. I was laughing when that, when that happened and one of my employees just looked at me and then, and then I had dinner with her um, recently and she was saying, yeah, I remember that because as soon as I said that, she thought to herself, is Chris okay? <laughs> <laughs> and I told her, yeah, but sometimes no. <laughs> and I'm much more okay now than I was in the past. But, Good. you know, I think that's, I think that's very true. And, and that comes back to the, the point I'm trying to say is that just bashing on the door nonstop. And that's what I had to do. I had to just go up to, to the door of the business and just bash on it as hard as I could, get thrown out by security, go back to the next door, keep bashing on it. And sometimes, you know, as, as a founder, you feel really defeated. You get sick of being told no. You know, yeah. for a while, no is, is more motivating. You get more excited. You know, you're like, I'm going to push harder. I'm going to get that yes. But then after so many no's, it's, it's kind of like, you know, I'm a fan of the UFC. There's only so many punches you can take before you go down. You can only rope right. a dope for so long like Muhammad Ali until that's it. You got to drop. But then after a bit, you come back, you know, hopefully stronger than ever with the yeah. vengeance to get back up there. But yeah, getting that first win is is always very hard and it took us a long time. It took us, the thing that took us the longest with my business is getting a contract that was more than just once, just a once off. So getting a six or a 12 month contract right. is the thing 
the longest time and it was the focus for us for a long time. For a long time, we made our money off a feasibility study here, um, you know, being a preferred supplier with the company and getting regular campaigns for influencers, but nothing confirmed. So, you know, with one of those clients, it was like we'd have nothing for four months and then we'd have eight in two months kind of thing. So that's not reliable for a business to be able to hire employees. You know, it's not that reliable cash flow. It's up and down. But, you know, for a long time, it was very hard. It was a slog. But now we've got multiple of those, you know, Razor, Ritual Motion. We've got some others and some others that are coming in where we can have that retainer type stuff coming in now, which is much more healthy for our business. But yeah, getting that first win in this industry is hard. Sometimes it just falls into your lap, right? And, and everybody sees those ones. Sometimes, you know, you hit that, you, you hit the formula perfect. You're your nade shot with 100 thieves. Yes, there's so much hard work that's gone into 100 thieves, but it's just seemed to be win after win after win. You know, besides the short downfall of, of Nick Merckx and the whole stuff around equity and, and him leaving, right. it just seems to be absolutely win after win. You know, bringing in Scooter Braun, bringing in their COO, bringing in Drake as an investor, then having like six all that drops in a row, signing Cash App, you know, signing their uh, 100 Thieves content house and then their, their boys collective that they brought on and, you know, then having their intern who's, who's become a massive success in himself that it just seems yeah. to be compounding. So sometimes you do get those, but once again, you know, setting yourself up for success. It helps if you launch an esports team if you've already got 4 million followers yourself. So that does help. Just- I remember when Nadeshot launched this podcast and Hector Rodriguez was yeah. the first guest and I was like, I was like, I know this guy's going to crush the podcast because I looked at his YouTube channel. You got three and a half million followers that you're starting your podcast with. That's a pretty good start. In my experience, I can relate to you in being everywhere, knocking down the doors, going after it, you know, every single day, time after time. What I found in addition to that is really having an others first mentality. And so when I started my own brand, I actually was hesitant because I didn't want to be a self-promoter. I didn't want to be a guy who was like, oh, look at me, look what I'm doing, blah, blah, blah. I was working with an executive coach at the time and she opened my eyes to, she said, John, you can do content every day without it being about you. And so, yeah, like today I did this, I wrote an article in a, in a magazine and so I posted about it, of course, but I'm also thanking the person who invited me to do it. I'm also shouting out the people who have helped me gain knowledge in esports. I try to kind of have three buckets, if you will, of content. I've got mm-hmm. the podcast, so I'll, I'll announce the podcast and I'll have some insights. I call them DLC drops. I'll do motivational stuff. So like if you're an entrepreneur, you're trying to overcome something like, hey, look at me trying to trick 25 times on a rail and slamming and I did it, you know, sort of a thing. I've still got the the bruises. Uh, <laughs> I'll be skating next week, but not before that. And then the other one is e- specific esports insights, which is my credibility, right? Because sometimes I need to, it's not just that I just want to share it, but I need to back up my credibility to say, hey, the reason why you follow me or you listen to me is because I do know this stuff. It's not just all uh, memes about feeling good about yourself, right? But in those things is when the content is adding value to others, or with the podcast that's promoting others, what I found is that's generating goodwill. And so not only are you getting out there and you're getting eyeballs, but you're generating favor. You're generating love from other people because you're helping them first without necessarily asking for anything back. Now, of course, you hope something comes back, but it's Mm -hmm. not, hey, Chris, I'll have you on my podcast if you introduce me to Corsair, right? It's, 
hey, Chris, I want to share your story. You know, you're doing amazing things. Would you love to come on the podcast? Sort mm. of a thing. So that's my perspective. You vibe with any of that? Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. It's much easier to think that way when you're not struggling for money either. <laughs> That's what I found. You know, back yeah. back earlier in the business, that goes back to like what I was talking to Bianca about, you know, much less stressed now than I was in the past when it was like, you know, crap, we've got, you know, two, three months of runway left and we've got no long-term clients. What the hell are we going to do? And almost every startup has been in that stage in one sense. You know, some of my friends who run, you know, startups that make five million plus a year, even when they're making yeah. three million a year, you know, something big can come through, big fine or unexpected, you know, something that's happening. So, but no, definitely right. And we're seeing that right now because, I mean, while you were talking, it just reminded me I need to reach out to someone because we've got a, we've got a new client that's going to be signing on. You know, I met with them for the first time probably 11 months ago just mm. for a catch-up chat and you know after that chat there wasn't anything directly we could do but now they're going through you know potential series a and some other stuff they've got some funds that that they want to spend on some acquisition and they want to work with us to to do those kind of things so you know these these things definitely come back around and sometimes it's hard to justify that time especially when you're busy as well to just have a catch-up chat with someone and right. i and I definitely do it significantly less these days than I used to, but it's about finding that balance, right? Like I remember right. one of our one of our silent investors and also worked with us for a while was like, Chris, stop taking so many meetings. You can get some actual work done. Because <laughs> there was a period of time where I was just talking to people all the time. Uh, I didn't have any time to. Yeah. You have three, yeah. If you have three one-hour meetings, it really takes about six and a half hours out of your day. And then what do you got left? <laughs> you know, in a work yeah. day, like in a legal work day, that, that means you've got one hour left and that's probably taken up by replying to emails and making a LinkedIn post and that's it. You're done. You haven't actually done any work really. You've just you've just kind of juggled the ball a little bit and then, yeah, you've got more to do in the next day. So I no, I'm on the same page. Well. <laughs> yeah. We talked about work all day, but we haven't done any of it. <laughs> yeah. That's a problem. Exactly. Yeah. Well, something else I'd love to highlight for the audience here, because I know it's something you're working on. I, I think it's tremendous, but it's esports education. This is something that I'm really passionate about. I love that esports is so applicable to so many people in, in so many different ways. You don't have to be somebody who is winning the trophies on the stage. You can have one of these many complementary skill sets. And one of the really cool things about esports is that there are so many different disciplines that you can work in and still be associated with your passion. So share a little bit about what you're doing with esports education. Yeah, for sure. And you know what we talked about pre-recording is is that you know so many people are focused on just the performance side of things. And we see this all the time, right? Like esports is the buzzword. And most people come to us saying, Chris, I want to get into esports. And then usually it's no, you actually want to get into gaming. And then it's no, you actually <laughs> yeah. want to get into Gen Z millennials and gaming is the way you're going to talk to them instead of just going to an Instagram or, or going and working with the right. UFC or you know another sport that, that goes towards young people or something else cool, some TikTokers or something like that, right? So, you know, if you look at if you look at throughout the US as well, something like 100 plus colleges have scholarship programs. Even here in Australia, there's universities with League of Legends scholarship programs, like the Queensland University of Technology up north. There's a lot of high school esports going on, but it's all competition based. And we know that, you know, from my own learnings, I started off as a player because I thought that's what I wanted to do. Too stressful, and I'm not the best player. I was more of the team motivator, and what we call like a support player. And sometimes yeah. my job was to do, I just can't remember the guy's name, but there was a guy in, in Navi um, who was one of the, who was the team captain or the second in command. A lot of the time in CS 1.6, his job was literally to die. His job was to jump mm -hmm. out, see where everyone was, die, and then get what's called traded in that game. And trading is when, let's say you and I are taking a site together, you die, I got to kill the 
other person straight away and that's trading kills because it's hard to get two kills in a row generally you can trade so you know if you think about where i'm sitting in in that position and now working in the business side of things and i see this with so many other people who are senior in the industry all started off as players why is there no support you know for these kind of people to get into the space and like you said it's so wide reaching you know if you look at some of the jobs that i've had i was a journalist and in that job maybe four percent of my job was esports like i wrote an article about our land parties our land party is still a thing you know that that performed very well that's very small amount of esports i wrote a little bit on like here are the top four esports wonder kids very buzz buzzfeed type article but you know some yeah literal literal kids who are like 15 years old that have won like 30 to, to 30,000 to a million in, in prize money but same with you know working at Corsair and Thermaltake you know at, at Corsair my job was maybe 10% esports but because because I made it that much it probably should have been 5% at that stage <laughs> but yeah. they're all relative right so something we've been working on for a while is with Wyndham Tech School here so uh, Tech School is a school that high school students which is in, in Australia is is around 12 to 8 high school students might go to every now and then to complete certain courses so Wyndham Tech School specifically has a massive a computer animated design room massive CAD room they've got a massive 3D printing room a massive room which is a uh, auto automated assembly line workforce where they actually kind of like make lego models all with robotic arms away so we've been talking to them for a while and and have now started actually developing a high school entrepreneurial esports course so mm-hmm. say entrepreneurial because it's leading in like i said before it's not it's not the performance side of, of things so we've got some funding in that section we'll, we've done a release but we're doing a re-release about that later on but that's going to kick off in term 4 this year which is in october with a pilot of of around 20 to 25 in a classroom of year 9 students which are about 13 and they turn 14 I believe they turned 14 in the year of year 9 yeah. um or 14 turning 15 sorry so with these people we're going to be teaching them skills around the lens of creating an esports tournament because like mm-hmm. I mentioned a tournament before it's got the most bodies and the most different kind of roles involved in it yeah but you know using that entrepreneurial lens and using a game say like rocket league which is applicable for 14 under 15s to help them understand how to register a business how to do a marketing proposal how to understand profit and loss cybersecurity there's a week where they'll all get hands on and build a gaming pc together with a, you know probably bring in a rep from from a corsair or a thermal take or someone sure. like that to, to get hands on with them as well because what we find is that once if if people leave that course it doesn't matter if they want to go make a, a coffee shop they're going to understand how to register a business in Australia they're going to go through that process they're going to yeah. understand how to look at a balance sheet they're going to understand how to do basic contract law they're going to understand how to set up a network because everyone wants free wifi when they go to the coffee shop so right. you know part of that you know part of this course is is helping them with skills with no matter where they want to go and we see that a lot i see that a lot in esports with people who've you know come into the industry left and then come back i kind of did a little bit all i did was go to uni but they can use those skills in other ways until the industry matures enough now for them to come back in and, and get these kind of high profile jobs in that space so you know we're really hoping that that's a that's a good thing there's another an, another portion to it as well where i was invited by the australian computer society to a boardroom lunch there was like a shadow minister of like future work and jobs was there a bunch of heads of universities a few ceos a few high up marketing in in um, banks etc and the whole time they were all talking about uh, and i can't remember the exact numbers but it was something like the amount of it jobs that's that's going to be required 
in Australia in the next 10 years, there's going to yeah. be about one quarter of the uni graduates to fill those. So there's a gap wow. of that of that 75%. Is, there's just not enough skills. And a lot of the time, all they're talking about with kids is coding. Learn to code, do coding, et cetera. And I got fed up after a bit. And I was like, look, I hate coding. It's like I've worked in <laughs> I worked in IT. I did a Cert 3 IT trainee. I did that as a, as a before I was meant to go to uni, but came into the industry instead. And I said, look, guys, if you think about, think about how to make this exciting, how to make this fun. I did Lego Robotics in, in high school, didn't enjoy it at all, but I did it because it got me closer to computers. I joined the chess club. Honestly, I don't enjoy chess at all, but it's what the other nerds did. But I said to them, even think about think about uh, an Instagram influencer. It's more than just promoting tummy tees and taking booty pics on Instagram. They sure. need to be a community manager. They need to be a marketing manager. They need to mm-hmm. do their own finance. They, they need to do editing of their pictures and or videos. They need to do B2B. They, and usually that's between them and other Instagrammers as well. You know, they yeah. need to understand how to do that. Then they need to go to live events and they need to have a persona where they can talk on stage and, and talk to other people. So there's so many things that go into that. And similar with esports as well, that, you know, let's say that, you know, there's a study that, that was conducted that said 75% of American high schools want to be an influencer when they grow up. Well, imagine how many of them are going to sign up to an influencer course, just thinking that probably the 15-year-old boys are doing it because the 15-year-old girls are signing up and probably the 15-year-old girls are signing up because, you know, they think they're going to get more Instagram followers because they're doing it. But then after a while, they're going to realize, hey, I really enjoy the photography side of this. Hey, I really enjoy the management side of this. And then they can understand, okay, there's so much more than just being the, you know, the person in front of the camera. There's so much more than just being the PewDiePie, the laser beam. There's so much more than just being the famous TikToker Bryce Hall. You know, there's there's so much back end of that you can do there. So we're hoping to use that entrepreneurial lens to, you know, really motivate the kids towards doing something else within that space but just using like i said before you know esports and gaming is is just the language and the way to communicate it to these people so my assumption is probably that a lot of the kids are going to sign up because they're going to think i get to just play rocket league all day you know Wyndham's building out a massive esports facility as part of as well with 25 top of line gaming pcs so that's probably what they're going to think but we're using that passion to actually push it into something constructive I love that. I always, I encourage young people to pursue some sort of a business education, whether that's formal or non-formal. And what I always say is gaining an education business enables you to understand how to make money doing what you love, or sometimes more importantly, how to avoid what you love because it doesn't make any money. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Which is true for me with skateboarding. People used to always say when I was in uh, business college, John, you're going to open a skate shop? And I was like, I can't afford to open a skate shop. Like, hopefully one day I have so much money that I can afford to lose money owning a skate shop. But until then, absolutely not. But you know, I think you know, that was the dream. Thing. That was the dream for everyone when I was growing up is everybody wanted to open an internet cafe with a PC shop out the back. Yeah. And anybody who did, they all died. So, <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I get you. Yeah. So, um, I think that's tremendous. So you're doing that and you're just tying it to what kids are already passionate about so that they can find that interest and then discover new interests, which will serve them well in life. So when is that going to kick off? Yeah, so we, we had a kickoff meeting internally just the other day. So we're, we're currently developing out the course with a few female industry leaders internally with big esports and, and a contractor as well. And that kicks off in term four, which is, I believe, the 7th or the 14th of October, somewhere around that. And it'll go for nine weeks. So the original course we're looking at is likely one day a week from 9.30 to 1 p.m., so just over half a day. 
for the kids and then that's the pilot and then the aim is for us to have a successful pilot roll it out next year in, in a once maybe a full day a week course but where their kids actually run a tournament at the end of it mm. that people can attend so there's also that and then hopefully expanding in the future for some specialization you know maybe it could be a 10-week course which is the introductory which the kids complete and then after that it says okay take what you enjoyed the most and then go into it. You know, it could be an influence management side of it, it could be an audio visual side of it, it could it could be a team management side of it, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, working on expansion plans and trying to work on on so much more to do in that space. And, you know, whether we want to take this much larger is is something that we're discussing, you know, internally. And I think this a it's a path we're gonna take. That's incredible. Well, before I let you go, one thing that I definitely have to get from you is some trends on esports. So like I said at the beginning of this episode, you're one of the people who I rely on. I'll, I'll check out your posts. I'll see your case studies, the decks that you post on LinkedIn, and it keeps me up to date. It's one of the things that keeps me up to date, knowing what's coming next. What can you tell our audience either what to pay attention to or what's coming next that we should be aware of? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So we, you know, we released some content every now and then. So, you know, at the end of 2020, we released kind of a 2020 trends document. And then in 2021, at the start, we released that. And, you know, happy to say that all of these trends that we've released thus far have been publicly confirmed and there's one last trend that i've seen that that'll be you know confirmed kind of coming so we're on the we're on the money which is good we, we've made the right guesses yeah, <laughs> yeah anybody space. can so, guess it's how accurate are those guesses right <laughs> exactly yeah so i'm just looking at the document here and i'll just go through them in order and explain a little bit more Please. so the, the first one we went through is around influencers chasing equity in their own business mm. so for example influencers are starting to understand that they have so much pull in the space, you know, I've I've got friends who are influencers who make more money than tier two esports teams by themselves. Yeah. I did a, I use this as an example all the time, but I did a podcast with him. His name is Fusion Droid. He's a Minecraft YouTuber that lives in Australia. He bought an eight hundred thousand dollar house cash last year. Um, you know, he makes two to five thousand dollars per video. Does four to six videos per week. And that's the, all these numbers are in AUD, but you can you can do the math based based on that about how much he earns. And this is all in the podcast I did, so it's all public info. Amazing. So people like that are, are understanding that. I've actually got a lot of pull with an audience and they don't just want to promote G Fuel. They don't just want to promote Razer or something like that. They're saying, can I can I be my own Razer? Can I do my own mouse or something like that? Yeah. So a fantastic example is a, is a good friend of mine, Rocket Jump Ninja, who's a global he's a global authority on gaming mice. Very technical, bit, massive nerd as far as that stuff goes. <laughs> I call him a nerd to his face all the time, so that's fine. But he released his own mouse with, with the company. He designed it from start. You know, cool. I went to his house. He's got clay models all over his house of how he wants the mouse to be designed. And he's done exceptionally well out of that, both financially, but also in regards to, you know, rewarding his audience and his audience rewarding him for that journey. So we're seeing that a lot more. So our main investor play side, they're Australia's large ASX listed. So ASX is our, our stock exchange AXS listed company within the video game space. They got about 90 staff. They announced earlier this year that they're doing a game with Laser Beam and Fresh Asian. They've announced that they've signed a game development deal with them. They released a game with a family channel as well called the Norris Nuts. So they're a family channel that does tens of thousands of, of units of products per drop that they do in merchandise, very active audience. They're a massive family channel. So I think it's four or five kids they've got as a whole mm. chaos within their household, according to their <laughs> videos. It's, um, you know, they launched a game called World of Pets, which has some similarities to but 
pushed more towards a younger audience. So yeah, we're seeing we're seeing influencers start to launch their own products, whether they're physical products like what Rocket Jump Ninja's done, whether they're games, and we're also starting to see influencers put their own money into things as well. So the the easy example is Backbone, which is like a console type controller that plugs into a phone. Laserbeam invested in that. His management agency, Click Management, invested in that. Up North Management, who I did a podcast with, they've also invested in that with some of their talent and a bunch of other influencers too. I think I think that's what Mr. Beast is invested in as well. So that's that's kind of number one. Influencers looking for equity, looking for their own businesses. Another one that, that's definitely come true, which is fashion and gaming will explode in both digital digital and physical sense. Absolutely. We've seen Gucci go absolutely ham with, with Geek in that part with Charles Hambro. Mm-hmm. Uh, always thank him for feeding me that info and he's the one that's doing the deals behind the scenes. But, you know, Roblox massively, you know, doing massive partnership with Gucci, The Sims. We've seen an Animal Crossing. Recently, we just saw 100 Thieves. We also saw Louis, Louis Vuitton and League of Legends last year do a bunch of stuff together. And this is just going to keep growing so much more, right. more within that gaming space and more than just phase, you know, doing these kind of drops. It's obviously been phase leading that in the past, but we're yeah. not just seeing this with esports teams with physical, but we're seeing this digital in games as well. That's so, what I love. Yeah. Yeah, and anecdotally, you know, I had a I had a teacher from Far North Queensland here come on board, which you could explain as kind of the middle of nowhere in Texas. It's probably okay. what Far North Queensland's like. And he he came on the post about Gucci and Roblox, and he said, "That's it, I get it." He's like, "I get why my primary school students are talking about Gucci because we're like we're in the middle of nowhere. Why the hell do these primary school students keep talking about Gucci all day at school? That's exactly why." because they partner with Roblox. So yeah, often people will ask, you know, why is you know, why are they advertising that a six year old's not going to buy Gucci? That's exactly why it's inspiring the next generation. Another one that we put in here as well is influencer merch going custom. So I talked to Jeff Pabst, who's the chief revenue officer of Phase about this on my podcast. And, you know, he mentioned that they're looking to do less frequent drops and more high quality drops and do some things, you know, a little bit more hands-on. I talked to Grace Watkins, who's the CEO of Click Management, who I mentioned previously as well. And she was, we're talking about the same kind of stuff too. Every influencer has done a black hoodie. That's, that's the standard. They've slapped a logo on a black hoodie. They've used Teespring. They've used a, a fulfillment kind of center. Yeah. They've sold out their units. That's it. They're done. But now we're seeing people start to do things much more custom. So, for example, FaZe are partnered with Heat to make a box of Heat. Um, and Heat is a company that, that does kind of last season's high-end fashion, mm. and they do it quite cheap. So, it's usually it's like it's a guaranteed you get nine. $100 in retail price, it'll cost you $600 for the box or something like that. So they did a phase drop where you were guaranteed two to three pieces of phase merchandise and then two to three pieces of high-end fashion. So they sent me a box. It had like a pair of off-white shorts in there worth a couple hundred dollars. It had a phase t-shirt, a phase crew neck and some the kind of like designer socks, like high top socks as well in there in a nice kind of box. So it's more than just selling that crew neck by itself. It's more than just selling that shirt by itself. It's giving you like an experience and more things to be part of it. And when I think phase, I think Gucci, I think off-white, I think Louis Vuitton. So it makes perfect sense to just combine those together. And it doesn't have to be an off-white phase shorts that can just, you can just wear a phase crew neck with the off-white shorts together. It makes perfect sense to me. So yeah. Another one that we put in here is esports teams operating as an agency and going a lot wider. So you see that a lot. You know, Team Liquid has had one up agency forever that have been doing stuff in that space. Talon Esports, which is they're based out of Hong Kong. They have a legal team that did very well at Worlds, who's based out of Taiwan. You know, they they operate as a digital marketing agency basically as much as they do as an esports team at some stages. And we talked about this on the podcast with with Sean Zhang, the CEO. You know, when Logitech does a launch, they do full full custom creative for Logitech, help them with localization of language and all that 
kind of stuff within there too. So, I mean, we even saw this the other day. I think it was Mark Kai posted about it, or it was it was France who's in our who's in our engagement group. EG's just launched their own League of Legends training platform. Yeah, it's incredible stuff as well. And then some of the examples, like I said before, where, you know, 100 Thieves have their content house that they released in the past. They've been doing, you know, tournaments and things like that. FaZe Clan released a full feature length horror film last year and they're operating as a, as a creative agency now. They launched FaZe Studios yeah. to create high quality content for other teams or people or brands or companies, That's not cool. just themselves and not even just including their own content uh, or including their own uh, influences can include others as well. So we're seeing that a lot. And then... Something we talked about very early on, which has kind of gone through a, a big peak and then a dip is NFTs. So, yep. you know, when, when we released this document, that was when the Rick and Morty creator, Justin Roiland, did a $1 million NFT auction and Logan Paul had just released his first NFT thing with Bondly where he was doing Pokemon card unboxings and then someone would win a Pokemon card if they bought the NFT. Obviously, we saw a massive rise after there. After we released this document, 100 Thieves did some, did some artwork in NFTs and we've seen some other stuff coming. I think it was TSM announced that they're doing something with Bondly Finance as well upcoming another thing that we haven't seen too much i guess in the inside the linkedin mainstream but has happened in the twitterverse mm-hmm. is a company called z.run and they are digital nft based horse racing so you can you oh. can breed a horse you can buy a horse and own it within your own stable you can race that horse and or you can bet on horses racing as well and it's all streamed through twitch and it's all ethereum based as well and wow. what we saw is that a lot of the influencers went from the hype of nba top shot into z run uh, and it's going to be interesting to see, yeah, where that where that kind of goes forward. But yeah, those are those are the most of the trends that we're watching in that space. And then besides that, like like you said, it's the education side of things. You know, we're trying to set a trend in that space. We haven't found many other companies in the market that are doing that stuff. So you know, we're hoping to to add to that and you know add our powerhouse team behind us to really advance that. Fantastic. Well, that's a lot of trends to look forward to. Obviously, we've seen those building out. What is the next thing that we can expect from big esports outside of the education piece? I think the education thing is is big for us. You know, in, in the past, we've had the same problem that so many of others have had where there's just too much going on. There's too many, too many different projects for us. There's too much of a wide focus and we're wanting to cut those things down. You know, a good friend of mine who runs an agency told me while he was going through it and then afterwards as well about what he did as a traditional traditional PR agency in the in the gaming space is cut off a lot of his clients that, that he wasn't making good revenues from. He tripled his price for some of them as well and re-signed clients on and has a much better time because of that. So trying to take that same kind of thing and saying, look, we're at that stage as a company now where we can afford to turn down projects. In the yep. past, that wasn't the case, but we're starting to do that now. We did that yesterday. We, we had an ongoing ongoing project with a client that we've, that we've put a stop to and we're going through the closure process of that. So we're being more picky with, with what we do and trying to be more focused with what's going on. There's a couple of announcements as always we have we have to come out. You know, we've, we've made a kind of an announcement that AX Lab has just started another million dollar crowdfund that we're helping them out with, which is a VR FPS company. They're making a game called Vale VR. And, you know, we've got another couple of cool announcements within that space. But for us, it's about, okay, how do we knuckle down and focus on, on solving one particular problem rather than just trying to solve, in quotation marks, the entire problem of esports and growing it? Let's just right. pick one angle and stick with it. I love that. I think uh, that's something a lot of people can relate to. You start a business and you say, I'm taking all the money I can get because I need all of it, <laughs> right? Yes. And it starts to come in. And one thing I can relate to is as you experience working on all these projects, you say, wait, I don't really like doing that one, 
oh, I really like doing this one or I do it well or I see a new market here. And then you're able to selectively tune in. And then the next step is rather than feeding a beast with any work you can get is saying, okay, what do I want to work on and doing quality over quantity? And it sounds mm-hmm. like you guys are doing that. That's a major step. So congratulations to you and your team for getting there. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, it's good. It, it's a good feeling to be able to have, you know, a couple of these long-term clients on board. Like I said, with Razor, you know, with, with the Wyndham stuff that we're doing with the esports education, it's it builds you that base, you know, as a, as a company owner, it builds you that base to be able to then go and do some other cool things and to be able to reinvest that money. And I've learned so much from Playside as part of that, you know. So so Playside as a, as a company, what they've done in the past is they've worked with Hollywood studios to create games for them. So SpongeBob, Kubo, Cars, Wonder Woman v. Bat- sorry, Wonder Woman, Batman, Batman v. Superman. They've done all these kind of games for those companies and then be able to reinvest it in their own kind of games to be able to launch as well. So that means mm-hmm. that now through their IPO, the funds raised, but also the funds just through their uh, profit margins they've been able to do awesome things like the Norris Nuts game. They've been able to announce things like the Laser Beam and Fresh Asian game and, and reinvest into the really cool things that, that, you know, that they want to work on to go forward. You know, I always said that I don't want big esports to be a PR agency because from the other side, I always hated PR agencies. And <laughs> while we do have a PR client with, with Razor, we try to do things differently with them. And that was part of our pitch was yeah. that if you want a traditional PR agency and you're coming to us, don't like don't pick us to win if 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 you you know want us to be like the rest of them and mm-hmm. you know thankfully we're starting to do some stuff but you know like I commented on a good friend of mine who's a writer for the Australian Financial Review Nat said to her that we're trying to have some more fun in business as well it's very easy to forget how to have fun and I've forgotten so many times how to have fun within this industry so we're just trying to trying to take a bit of a more lighthearted approach to what we do and do some cool stuff that we enjoy that's amazing so before I let you go, where can people find you in the ways that you would like them to find you? Sure. Yeah. So the easiest part's probably LinkedIn. I got a super common name. Uh, it was, <laughs> yes, it was always did. a joke. <laughs> in in Counter-Strike Source, uh, it, people always used to write their team bio as a joke and mine always led off with stupid white Chris Smith. So I got the <laughs> whitest name in the world. But you can go to LinkedIn forward slash in forward slash Smithy Mayo. That's where you can find me. And every other social is Smithy Mayo. Mayo being my gaming name and Smithy being my last name with a Y at the end of it. So usually the, the best place to follow me would be LinkedIn. Second up would be Twitter. The rest of them I don't use as much at all. Cool. We'll we'll definitely shout that out for you. And I appreciate your insights. It's always great talking to you. And I know that our audience learned a lot from this episode. So I appreciate you joining us on the DLC Drop podcast. Yeah, no worries, man. Good to finally chat. Absolutely. We'll do many more. Thank you for listening to the DLC Drop podcast. This podcast is part of the Esports Futuri podcast network and produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast channel and leave us a review. 